0: Well good morning church. How we doing? Good. I am glad to be here. Proud to be here as they say. And I want to thank Andrew for opening the door for this opportunity to come and be at Huntsville. Thank John for stepping aside from the pulpit today. I I know when I preached I didn't do that unless I had a lapse of memory or uh, didn't like it. Well, anyway, I just didn't do it very, do it very often. And so I appreciate that. But i got to thinking about it. Anybody whose nickname is Fat Rock is pretty secure in himself. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but I right, thank you, John. And I want to thank the, your amazing youth group for initiating all this, too. And uh, the youth, uh, yeah, exactly. So I'm looking forward to meeting them tonight and uh, having a little time with them and appreciate it very, very, very much. And as, was, uh, as he read my obituary a while ago, <laughs> I feel like I should die and go on to heaven, <laughs> all that stuff behind me, but anyway... Uh, I've preached a lot and been in a lot of places around, around the world, but uh, I've never preached in Alabama till today. All right. <laughs> Finally, sweet home Alabama. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad to be here and uh, delighted for this opportunity. John chapter 4 is one of our texts, and then we're going to... Move over to another text in Romans twelve, John four twenty. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet in Jerusalem worship. Worship the Father. You're, you worship. I got this in the wrong version on here, and I hate this. This is, a, anyway, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is for the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then Romans 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. I want to ask you a loaded question, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but I want to ask you a loaded question. What kind of worship do you prefer? I'm sure that question gets a lot of different answers and opinions, because we come from a variety of different backgrounds, Different traditions, different cultures. I want to underline two or three li- points today. And the first one is this Living for the Lord, if you're keeping notes, this would be good to write down. Living for the Lord is real worship. Living for the Lord is real worship. So I want to do this today. I've been asked by John to deal with worship and witness. What is the doctrine of worship and witness? And these are two overarching themes about what I will talk about in the next few minutes. So just to be clear, I happen to believe that more worship is done outside of this room than is done in this room. Can we agree on that? I mean, we worship more out there doing what we do with life than what we do when we get in here. And so the way you treat your spouse has to do with worship. The way you treat your employee or your boss or fellow worker is part of worship. How you act in school is part of worship. How you drive your car is part of worship. How you fill out your taxes in the next few days is part of worship. Really? (laughs) Scratch that one out, buddy. How you deal how you how you treat your in-laws is part of worship. How you play sports. What you do in your spare time. How you react when Alabama loses to Auburn in a weird play at the very end. Of the <laughs> now, am I preaching or what, huh? Uh-huh. Just park there a while, Brother Glenn. <laughs> so anyway, so living in harmony with God is worship. You get the idea. I don't need a plow that corn do anymore that's you got it since i have just a little sliver of time to talk to you i want to narrow it down to what we do in here in this place because typically we're in this block of time that we call worship time so how do we do in here now some of you love formal worship where every detail is in a little bulletin and It communicates the dignity of God. And others you like a more informal service where it allows for spontaneity and the so-called moving of the Holy Spirit. Some of you love musical instruments, some love a full orchestra. Some believe that communicates the majesty of God, and yet others would sing a cappella. Some like to raise your hands as an expression of worship. Others think that's drawn attention to yourself. Some love the old altar call. Some say that's just a way to manipulate people and an emotional appeal. You see, I'm saying we have diverse opinions on that subject, right? We come from so many different backgrounds, and so we could get into some real pushback when we talk about what is and what is not appropriate worship. Some would say you shouldn't dim the lights during communion. Or you need to sing the right songs during communion. Or the words should or should not be on screens. Or dramas that are presented to a church. I guess it's too too much acting. Clapping for special music is not good. Taped background music, some would say, is not good. All kinds of controversies have been in our circle, in our life. And we have to be very, very careful. We have to be very careful that we don't make our preferences a test of fellowship that would alienate us from other believers. We have to be very careful that our opinions don't hinder our worship. It should never be... If you don't do it my way, I'll leave. I'll complain, I'll cause trouble, then I'll leave. Or I'll complain on the way home. I heard of a father who complained all the way home. The sermon was too long, the music too loud, the lights were too dim, service lasted too long, and his little eight-year-old boy said, Daddy, it was a pretty good show for a dollar, don't you think? Uh-huh. So, worship is an expression of our gratitude to God. Ben Merrill, who's a friend of mine, said something interesting about this subject a long time ago. He said that we have things turned around in the church. He said, We see the preacher as the performer, God is the promoter, and the congregation is the audience. And we evaluate the performance when in reality, the congregation is the performer, the preacher is the promoter, God is the audience, and he's doing the evaluating. Are you going to pass the test? Just asking. The second thing I'd like to underline for you, style of? Corporate worship is cultural, not scriptural. I know we claim to have it all figured out out of the Bible. We've got all the answers, and I know I know all those answers, and have used them all. But at the same time, I want to tell you that most of what we do is cultural. And it wasn't clear to me. I, re- I was raised in a little, little country church in northern Ohio. And we sang all the hymn books. We sang all four verses, and or five, or verse five, or ten, verse ten. And, you know, we did it all. We had power in the blood till Jesus come, you know, and all that stuff. We had it all. So I understand all of that. I've been there, done that. But I had a moment of conversion and real clarity that come to my mind about church music and its style When I was in Haiti in the early 70s, I was out in the middle of nowhere in Haiti and sat in a mud hut, dirt floor, corrugated metal roof. They'd gone modern and got a corrugated metal roof on that building. And I sat next to the musician up front in a three hour service. And for the first hour and a half, we were led in worship by a musician who had one piece of metal, it was like a disc, and another piece of metal, and he banged on that. Uh, he played that instrument for an hour and a half. <laughs> I thought, dear Lord, what am I into? And after a little bit, I began to look at the people, not listening to the music. And I saw tears, I saw if you were measuring it by physical terms, you'd say these folks are really into worshiping. I, I couldn't get it, but I saw them worshiping. They were singing in Creole, so I didn't understand the word they were singing. But what finally dawned on me is they can sing with a piece of, two pieces of metal being banged together and call it music and worship the Lord, I will never complain again about any music I hear, no matter the kind it is. I let it go. As John says, it's, no, it's not upon the mountain that you worship, it's not in a position, location, it's in spirit and in truth. I wish I could show you a video of a man that I have in India who dances around in what we call the, what I call the Bundeli Band. Like about eight guys that have a little band, they travel. Travel amongst folks who do not have the printed Bible in their language or did not until the last couple of years. They wrote 80 songs, gospel songs, telling Bible stories in their songs. But this one guy has a piece of rebar that's about this long and another bar that he clangs on that thing while they all sing and they love it. And you know what? I've grown to love it too. And I've come to the point where this can be said I personally could care less about if they stand or sit or dance or raise their hands or what instruments or what environment is, as long as they honor God. We make idols out of our preferences. Do you hear me? We make idols out of our preferences. Exodus is pretty clear about not making any idols, nor the gods before me. And you can walk into the Hindu temple in India or here in the U.S., and they worship over a million gods. Some say 250 million gods. Go into the Buddhist temple... And they have 25,000 idols represent every different phase of life that they go through. I'm saying the idols are out there, and the idols are forbidden by Almighty God. And the reason it's forbidden is because it limits our concept of who God is. One little boy was desperately wanting a bike, and so he wrote a letter to God. He said, I want a bike. I've been a very good boy. Then he got to thinking, well, God knows everything, sees everything, and that's not totally true. So he threw that letter away and wrote another one. Dear God, I'm a pretty good boy. And then he realized that wasn't entirely true either. So he thought for a minute, and he went over to the mantle in his home where he saw the statue of the Virgin Mary, grabbed her, wrapped her in a towel, and he wrote, Dear God, if you want to see your mother again, (laughs) Okay, I'm going to take you home with me, okay? So anyway, God is a pretty big thing when you think about it. This is a God who has all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-places, all-times. So how do you reduce that down into a physical location? I mean, somebody, somebody said it's like having a sculpture trying to make a replica of Mount Rushmore on a grain of sand, or like a scholar writing all of world history in one sentence, or like a musician playing Beethoven's Fourth Symphony on a referee's whistle. It's absurd, impossible, can't be done, don't even think about it. And yet we would say that God can be reduced down to our little idol. And you say, we don't have idols here. That's good, I'm glad to hear that. I've been where they have idols, though. Jesus said this to the woman at the well. The hour comes, is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is looking for those kind of worshipers who worship God in spirit and truth. And true worship is not a place, but an expression of the inner man. Real worship is when that inner man Inside calls out to the one who made you. Anytime you rely upon the physical for worship, it borders on idolatry. Can I get specific? Jesus said it's not the place. Buildings can become idols. They're necessary, but they can become idols. A certain seat in the building, can become an idol. What are you doing in my seat? I don't even know your name. <laughs> We've come to be dependent on a certain man to lead worship, or a certain guy to preach, or the order of the service needs to be just so. It's not that that's bad or good, it's just, it's nothing. Compared to our worship, one church always said the Lord's Prayer together. That's part of their routine. Every week they'd say the Lord's Prayer together. Then the preacher finally realized we're just going through the motions. We are, it's just rote, it's ritual, it's not meaningful prayer. And so he one Sunday said his own out loud prayer instead of the Lord's Prayer, and an older couple left in a huff, mumbling, first they take prayer out of schools, and now they take it out of the church. (laughs) Jesus said, Matthew 15, the Pharisees honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You remember the scene in The Godfather? Where... I didn't watch it, but Shirley told me about it. (laughs) When the the head... (laughs) She's so pure, she doesn't mean what I just said, really. When the head Don was in the church, and his baby was being baptized, and in his mind there's these flashes of people that are being killed while he's in church. He'd arranged their murders, honoring God with their lips, but the heart is far from. You don't get any brownie points for being here, trust me. This can be just a ritual. The mind can be corrupted. And Romans 12 says, This spiritual worship is you offer yourself up daily as a spiritual sacrifice. So I've come like the old country preacher who told the church, I don't care how loud you shout or how high you jump, as long as when you land, you walk straight. That's where I'm at. Sunday worship that pleases God is that which results in Monday obedience. That's worship. Third line. True worshipers reach out. To the unsaved. Acts 1 says this, verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after that, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. I was in a church in Florida a couple of years ago doing what I do, and at at the end of the corridor leading out main entrance of the building, it said, and there was a sign over the door that says, you're now entering the mission field. So my question is, who's a missionary? Well, let's look around. We're it. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's right here. Judea, and then a little further out, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 8 tells about how the persecution broke out in the early church in Jerusalem. And everybody fled except the apostles. They stayed home, kind of tended the store there. Peter's primary ministry was in Jerusalem. But Paul, another one chosen by God, went to the ends of the earth. If we can be candid, not everybody's going to go to the ends of the earth. We can't, we don't want to, we're, our, our skill set's not that, and the Spirit will not lead us to do that. But that's not a test of our spirituality or immaturity. But what is, if you stay home, you stay here, and enjoy the comforts that we have in our country and in our culture, then you need to support those who are there in other lands, in other cultures. John Piper wrote, he said, The goal of the church is not missions, but worship. If we worship Christ, we will do what he says to do. Jesus said, You're the salt of the earth. The salt has lost its saltiness. It's not good for anything. So we go because we're commanded to go. We spread the news about Jesus Christ because that's what he says we're to do. The Lord has made it clear we are to go. Everybody on one level or another, is to be involved in evangelizing the world. That should be our overriding motivation. Beyond everything else, Jesus said to do it, so we do it. It's real simple. It's commanded. Eva Wright, Eva, excuse me, Eva Hart, was the last survivor of the Titanic. She was on television in an interview shortly before she died. She remembered that night, she said, "'I saw all the horror of people sinking. "'I heard even more dreadful cries of people drowning. "'Although 20 lifeboats were lost, "'most of them were only partially filled "'because they left early "'and people didn't think the ship was really sinking.'" So most of the passengers who remained on the ship ended up struggling in the icy water before they drowned while those in the boats waited a safe distance away. Lifeboat number 14 did row back to the scene after the ship slipped out of sight at 2.20 a.m. The lifeboat chased cries into the darkness, seeking and saving a precious few, but incredibly No other boat joined in. Most of them were half-filled boats that rode aimlessly into the night, just listening to the cries of the lost. Can I get real for a moment? Outside this building, don't tell me they're all Christians, they're not. Within five miles of this building, there's enough to fill this building a number of times. Within that radius, there's hundreds of people who do not know Jesus Christ, the Savior. We can be happy in our little boat, paddle along, and when Jesus comes, we'll go home and be happy. And in the meantime, we need to reach our community for Christ. Shirley and I walked the streets of Lucknow, India, just uh, in October. It is a criminal tribe occupies that village. There were a number of villages. I forget how many villages. Let me see if I wrote it down. A number of villages that uh, he ministers to. And this one village where we stopped, we had a church under a big old tree. Over 500 came to church in a noontime meeting, men, women, and children. They told us that in this, in this village, there's 720 people adult age who have accepted Christ as their Savior. That's not all they said. Every person in this village of age is a Christian I've been around the world a lot. I've been to a lot of places, seen a lot of things, but I have never, including my own place where I live, never been to a place where you can say, everybody in our area is a Christ follower. Except in Lucknow, India. I'm saying, be not weary in well-doing. Keep on keeping on. For in due season you shall reap if you don't faint. Reaching out to your area is your responsibility. Matthew 16 says, Whosoever shall seek his life, save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake in the gospel will find it. Jesus reminded his folks before he left, he said, You receive power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. So our mission is to witness. It's to witness to everybody about the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in our life, we cannot help but tell the things that we've seen and heard. I'm not saying we need to go build orphanages and pass out clothes and give food. Only. Governments can do that. Social welfare can do that. We go and we do it. We give a cup of cold water, the Bible says, in His name. Then, then, you'll receive a reward. It's okay to get water purifiers and send them all over the world and dig wells for people who don't have water, but unless it's done in Jesus' name, it's going to come to null and void in the end. Every cup of water that's done in His name will be honored. Before our first trip to India, an Indian evangelist told me, he said, you know, Evangelical Christians from America have made a lot, of, a lot of mistakes. They come, they see all the poverty, and they want to give attention to the feeding the hungry and to taking care of the orphans and all of that. Primarily, he said, our need is not food. What we need is the gospel. What we need is a change in our religious belief rather than reincarnation, where we go round and round and round in life where people won't even kill a rat or a cow. Afraid they're killing an ancestor? Maybe won't even kill a rat that eats the corn. Maybe it's, they're afraid it's their mother-in-law or something. I'm not sure what they might think. <laughs> he said we have to change the system. Then we change conditions. Jesus, or Isaiah said in a loud and clear voice and he heard the voice of the Lord whom shall I send and who will go for us and Isaiah responded here am I send me Uh, we got on an airplane Friday flew from Houston to Nashville and got in the car pretty little Malibu drove down here no sweat no problem having fun being here Sleeping good, eating good, all is well. What it cost you to get here today? I assume everybody came in a car. You get out in your car and go home. Go back to your house. Let me tell you about some friends of mine. Were we able to get pictures? Okay. Imagine some beautiful pictures on the walls here. <laughs> Mahipal Paul, sing. was a murderer, hired by the Indian government to harass Christians. That was his job. You say, really? That's really. He was to go around with a group of men and find Bibles and burn them, find churches and burn them and find Christians if he could, especially pastors, and kill them. question was asked him, have you ever killed a man personally? Oh, yes, he said. (sighs) Many times, the swords killed him. Then, a little preacher dared to say to him, Now, hey, Paul, your wife is sick. Why don't you pray to Jesus? I said, I don't believe in Jesus. He said, well, have you tried? No. I've got to try. He went home and told his wife, said, this guy asked me to pray to Jesus. And he said, uh, you know, we've tried everything else. Maybe we ought to try it. And he tried for 21 days. Both of them prayed. She was about to die. She could. She's laying in bed. Body is atrophying. And they pray. And he said he comes home on the twenty-first day, and his wife's standing up with her hands on the wall, walking through the house. Long story short, their house is filled with idols from the Hindu gods. He went in shortly after that. Took all the gods out, threw him away, and became a believer. And found Dr. Law, baptized him into Christ, put him into the little college that we have. And to this day, the man has baptized 3,000 people and has planted five churches. Sarat, the prince of a tribe of 600,000. In that wealthy environment that he grew up his, as a prince, he got into drugs and alcohol and all the things that were bad, and he, his daddy finally told him he had to leave. He said, I can't take this. You're not worthy to be my son. You cannot be leader of this tribe. And his dad wanted to kill him, but he said, you leave or I'll kill you. And so he left, disowned by his father, rejected by his, his mother. He hears a little preacher preaching in the street market. I've never done it, but he preached in the street market and he heard about that you are not your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. And he was on his way to the market to buy some poison to kill himself. That led to a conversation between the two of them. He was converted. He went to the Mo, went to study how to plant churches and how to tell the story about Jesus Christ. He went back to his own village with Dr. Law and baptized his daddy and his mother and all of his brothers and sisters and 30,000 others in his, in his tribe have been baptized. Can somebody say amen? That's good stuff right there. <clears throat> our last trip, next last trip, Shirley was standing. I have a picture of her with a lady with an orange outfit on, standing with her arm around Shirley. A totally impromptu picture. The lady wrapped her arm around Shirley, and here's her story. She watched her husband beat to death and then burned up in oil. Her daughters were raped the entire night she was raped at least 50 times, she said, and then she passed out. And now she travels from church to church doing children's ministry. And she says to those who want to quit, I've lost my husband, I've lost my, my children, my children have been abused, and I've been raped all these times, what's your problem anyway? Free Oz. I'm going to land this in a little bit but I come a long way I want to finish this Free Oz is his name converted from the mob and he grew up in the mob he was a muslim and he got into a gang that was in a fight with another gang well you know what happened eventually his name was on the list of people to take out of the other gang he got concerned and he prayed a prayer, a simple prayer, Lord, if you're real, I want to get out of this. I really don't want to die. And through a chain of circumstances, he came into contact with the folks from our mission and he accepted Christ. And he has gone back into the Lucknow area that I've referred to two or three times now. And I, I asked uh, Dr. Law just yesterday on the phone, I wanted to get it straight. He, uh, he's of the shepherd group of the Gypsy tribe and of the criminal tribe, he has personally led 10,000 people to Christ and oversees another 15,000 of seekers. He pastors nine churches with 11,000 people in it. Somebody say amen to that. Isn't that amazing? I want you to think about this for a moment. There may well be a voice speaking to you. I mean, I got an email from Dr. Law uh, within the last week and had a picture of himself and a pastor and his wife standing beside him. And uh, I didn't think much about the picture, but Dr. Law told me there were others who saw the picture and said, well, he sure looked like he was unhappy, Dr. Law. Couldn't he smile? Dr. Law said, if you had just been surrounded by 40 extremists in your home and had your wife beaten and you'd been beaten and your house burned, you probably wouldn't have a smile on your face either. And they told him to quit talking about Jesus. I know those guys, he'll go back, he'll he'll do it again. He'll, He'll continue to preach. Now who is it down the block? down the street. Who is it in your family that's waiting for a word from you? Hear my Lord. Send me. Will you listen to him? Brother John?
1: We go ahead and stand with us as we come to our response time. I can't think of any better way to wrap up this series on sound doctrine than with that message. It is indeed for all the things we've talked about this month, and especially for worship and witness, and the, the fact that how we live our lives daily is our act of worship uh, really drives that home. And if we have this time, as they sing, as, as we lead you in one more song, if for you the, the response to that is baptism, uh, the baptistry is ready, uh, submission to Jesus Christ to start fresh. Maybe for you, it's, it's to partner with us to, to begin to live out that reality of impacting this community uh, with your brothers and sisters here at Huntsville Christian Church. Maybe your first step with that response is repentance and rededication or a time of prayer and to set up some accountability. The elders are here. We've got a spot over here. We'll go and pray with you privately. Whatever your response is, don't wait. The harvest here in Huntsville is there. We're ready for workers. We're ready to, to take the sound doctrines that we've talked about, and live them out in worship and witness daily. Think on that as we sing this song of response.